Welcome to the Millennium Counseling Center podcast, where hope is yours, it's time to soar. I'm your host, Oren Madison. It's time to rise above and celebrate healing, hope, and recovery with the Millennium Counseling Center team. Special thanks to Kaz Source, who helps us with the production of our podcast. If anybody needs any help or looking into podcasts, please reach out to Kaz Source at kazcontent.com. I'm super excited today to have Derek Bilsma with me on the Athlete Mindset Podcast. It's cool because Derek is also a clinician in this athlete mental health space. So Derek, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on to the, the show. And yeah, it's in the same space. We operate in the same space. So that's uh, that's exciting. There's not an abundance of people out there who work with athletes, particularly around mental health. and so. And it's good to see you again. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's great to connect, yeah, with other professionals doing our work. You're out in Chicago. I am out here in California. And so we're hitting it from both coasts kind of thing. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. We need as many so, as we can get. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So I know when collegiate athletes, maybe semi-pro, pro want to stay in the field, want to still work in sports, want to still be in touch with the sporting environment. There's lots of ways to do that, but not so many ways in the way that you and I have chosen, which is the clinical mental health space. What brought you here? I know you played collegiately, soccer collegiately. And so what brought you to this space of all the other places that it could have been? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. I played soccer at Wisconsin and then played professionally for a little bit afterwards and uh, still coach uh, high school soccer. I coach high school soccer in Chicago. I have done that for the last 15 years. And when I was uh, kind of starting out as a clinician, people had known about my athletic background. And so I was approached by, you know, kind of different people who had athletic backgrounds as well. And it was mostly pro players in the Chicago area at that time. But just was, you know, from my own experience and in talking to folks, just really realizing that the resources that athletes have as far as uh, particularly mental health, I think they have a lot of resources around sports psychology and performance, but uh, kind of around strict mental health work with, you know, substance abuse or depression, anxiety and those types of things is that there wasn't a lot of great resources for that. And I think some of the times when athletes sought those people out, particularly through kind of college uh, career counseling center or the counseling centers at colleges and things like that is, is that uh, they generally weren't working with people who really under understand kind of how athletes are coached and trained and just kind of the mindset mm-hmm. that we're all, you know, kind of taught to be in to compete at a high level. And so I think that I just saw uh, an area of need and uh, I have a huge interest in sports and myself and obviously in mental health. So it seemed like a good mix and wasn't sure how that was going to be, but it's it's turned out to be really great. We partner with several colleges in the Chicagoland area. We work with University of Illinois, Chicago. We work with DePaul. We work with Loyola. So kind of the major schools, a little bit with Northwestern. And so I think, uh, you know, saw there was a need, saw that a lot, of, a lot of people, if it was provided, then there was people who were looking for that kind of support. And so that's, we've just kind of grown that from there. We hire uh, mostly former athletes who are therapists to uh, work in that division. The woman who runs it, a woman by the name of Sarah Meister, who was a 
all ACC volleyball player at Missouri and then, you know, got her master's from Northwestern and is a, an amazing clinician herself also, you know, kind of helps run that division. And so, uh, yeah, we're just kind of slowly but surely trying to get the support out there for the people who need it and do that in different ways, whether it's by individual counseling or group counseling or team workshops, you know, kind of all the different ways to just kind of get the people the support they need and want. For sure. For sure. I appreciate it. You know, we are like minds that way that there's an importance in like what I call the athlete centered clinician, someone who has lived experience or family members in sports who know the environment, who know what the pressures are. I, I know I've heard the story. I wonder if you've heard this, that athletes have come to me or, or my practice and have said to myself or my clinicians, like, you know, when I go to therapy, my therapist just tells me to quit my sport because it's stressful. Right. And you and I both know that like, that's not the purpose of maybe going to therapy. Maybe they'll come to that on their own if that's it, if that's really what it is, but it's coping with that. It's coping and managing and having tools, skills, perspectives on how to cope with our stressors, whether it's school or relationship or something else, right? So I think it's so important, as you've been stating, that therapists who work with athletes understand the mindset the world, the identity and what it means. So I'm just, I'm so glad that you're doing the work you're doing. You know, your company, Millennium Counseling, sounds like it's doing some amazing things across several colleges and universities and employing clinicians who get it. And so kudos to you. It's so cool. We are in Suicide Prevention Month. When that comes up for you, what do you think about or what do you want to make folks aware of when we think about that from the athlete population? I mean, I think that the main thing about, you know, that subject as a whole, but it's even, I think, exaggerated with that is that the, you know, people have to be encouraged and and given avenues to ask for help. And I think that when people are in that place where they're feeling like that that's a, an option, things are thinking about, things they're, you know, worried about that, you know, reaching out and asking for help is particularly difficult, I think, for athletes. And, you know, I think it's difficult for everyone, but athletes, I think, is even more difficult because they we're, you know, partially about the way we're trained to think and just work harder and try harder and want things more and then everything will be okay. And so I think the, you know, kind of the main message I would want people to know is, is that, uh, if you're feeling that way, kind of getting some support and asking for help is really important and having some resources to do that, whether it would be a therapist or a, a hotline or family or friends, but you know, somebody that you can kind of get into, share some of what's going on and share about kind of how you're feeling and then, you know, hopefully be able to connect with somebody who kind of knows how to handle that to make sure you stay safe and and make sure you stay in a good place and and are able to kind of ride through those really dark times. Mm -hmm. What are some sort of signs, symptoms to kind of have a parent pay attention to or a teammate pay attention to or a coach? Like what would be kind of I don't want to go all the way there just yet, a red flag, but maybe a yellow slash orange flag, like, because we want to come from a preventative standpoint, right? Like, what would be some things that an athlete might be saying that would cause concern or what would be some of the behaviors? I mean, some of the things that they would say are things like, everything's too hard, it's just not worth it, you know, kind of things along those lines that sound very 
kind of filled with hopelessness and feeling like there's not options or way to get to a better place. I think usually with behaviors, uh, you know, you might see some self-harm type things that could come in the form of substances or bites or, you know, there's some kind of tangible things. But I think that the more so I think to be careful of is when you see a, a big shift in mood and people become much more isolated and kind of withdrawn and, you know, very similar to a lot of the kind of things we see with depression where people are kind of, you know, less likely to be engaged with their teammates, maybe seem very lethargic and kind of kind of slowed down and really just, you know, kind of removing themselves from society. You know, lots of times when people are in a place like that, they don't really want to interact with people, even though that's the thing that's probably going to be the best for them. You know, they're more likely to stay to themselves. And and then again, just some of the language that they use that that kind of indicates some hopelessness or some lack of ability to keep fighting, you know, for all of us, you know, working through life, we have to fight at different times for different difficult, you know, periods of our lives. And I think for all of us, sometimes that seems more doable and realistic than others. So, you know, I think typically you would see some changes in behaviors, but you never really know. But again, I think just also creating an avenue to be able to talk about those things and, you know, kind of having the relationship with those folks, whether it's your child or somebody you're coaching, but the relationship where they feel comfortable talking to you about something that would be difficult. And, you know, the biggest thing is not feeling judged and not feeling like you're going to be angry with them or disappointed in them. Those are what many times people are afraid of, that they think that just because they're thinking this way or feeling this way, that that means there's something wrong with them in feeling like people would have some sort of thoughts or judgment about them, even if it's your parents or your coaches or whoever. So I, I think just making sure they understand that we all go through really tough thoughts and things in our mind where sometimes it feels like everything's too hard and that's okay to feel that way. And But uh, that not try to navigate that on your own. And, and if you're a parent, make sure you leave that that you stay approachable. And I would say the same thing for coaches and administrators that uh, you leave a, a pathway for them to, if they can get to the place where they will reach out, you know, all of us should try to be one of those people who they feel comfortable reaching out to. No, thank you. That's so important. I think, you know, you and I both know that part of prevention is education education and awareness. And so for, for the communities that surround our athletes, like you said, coaches, parents, administrators, for us to know how to take care of our athletes and what to see and, and how to intervene. And I think, you know, our athletes are going to be harder on themselves than anybody else. So they're judging themselves already harder than any of us would, right? And so there's an embarrassment, a shame, you know, like they want to impress, especially the younger athletes, those of us adults in their lives. And so I think it's so important for all of us in the sport ecosystem to provide like that non-judgmental, very safe environment, speak whatever they want to speak. I think one thing you mentioned, which is really important is, and I don't think a lot of people connect it, is that suicide is or like thoughts of suicide, ideas of suicide, attempts to die by suicide are all extreme severe manifestations of depression. And so mm -hmm. depression is preventable. That means, you know, ideas, thoughts, attempts, actions towards suicide are preventable and start very, very early in that sort of cycle. And so if people are like, oh, suicide is not this thing all on its own that just kind of happens all of a sudden, 
there's a progression and we should be aware of that progression towards it and interrupt it as much as possible within our own selves or the people that we see it in, right? And so you and I both know that that depression and anxiety are, are the most common, but also the most treatable mental health conditions there are. And so I want to bring hope and relief and some reassurance that, you know, like you said, if you're feeling like you're the only one, it's like, you know, the first step is to be able to let people know how you're doing and then we can come in and help. Like there's ways that we yep. can, can help from all our different directions. So I think that's so, so important. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. As a coach, you're a coach and clinician, and that's a cool, in my opinion, combination. And being a male coaching ladies, girls, women, sometimes it's like, I don't know how to separate my identities, but I'm going to ask you, how do you intentionally bring in your clinical experience to your coaching? And being a male, knowing that there's been a lot of news about male coaches, coaching women, et cetera, girls. I would love to hear your take on it, like how you intentionally do that, how you acknowledge your privilege as a man, et cetera, and how that happens with the ladies and the teams that you coach. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's an opportunity, I guess, to be able to, you know, we know that a lot of young women have uh, negative experiences with men. My other coach is a is a woman, and I think I would actually prefer to always have women coaches for women players if we could. I think mm-hmm. that uh, sometimes that doesn't necessarily the the numbers don't completely work out as far as you know being able to provide them coaching. But I do think it's an opportunity to kind of bring something uh, different, and and knowing that you know we have some uh, some people that will be learning from me and getting some lessons from me. And I want to make sure that those are really positive kind of messages. I think that that age group, particularly for young women these days, you know, kind of that high school or even, you know, maybe the end of middle school through college, I think being a young woman is really difficult in this time and age for many, many reasons. And I think that it's important that for those of us who have some exposure to them, that that we try to make sure that these are are positive interactions. So yeah, it's, you know, I want to teach them about the sport and I want to teach them how to compete. But I think a lot of it has to do with really, and this is just the way I coach in general, is uh, a lot of it has to do with life, you know, more than it does around soccer. It has to do with, you know, kind of learning to set goals and work hard to achieve those goals and be in an environment where you have teammates and coaches and bosses and all these different types of things. But I think probably the most important thing that I really try to encourage and help them with is learning how to advocate for themselves, learning Mm -hmm. how to speak up. And if they need something or they want something, even if it's difficult, if they feel like they want more playing time or, or that they're, you know, struggling with something out off the field. And, you know, I want to make sure again, that I have an avenue and make sure that people feel comfortable to approach me with those things. And, the only way that I can do that is because, you know, everybody, they're all friends and they all talk to each other. So I have to make sure it's a good, positive experience when somebody takes the chance and does that. And then not only try to make sure it's a positive experience, but also, you know, encourage them to have some results from that, feeling like they got something out of it that was positive so that as they move forward, when it's somebody different, when maybe it's not me, but maybe it's a boss or a parent or a teacher that they don't go in with a negative connotation of feeling like by speaking up that that's going to be handled negatively, but that it will, you know, I try to make sure I'm very clear in my communication and help them to understand 
what can they do in whatever they're talking about? What's, you know, what do they have control over and what do they not have control over? And how do we do the best way possible for, for you to get kind of what you're looking for? So I think that that's mostly what it is. I think it's really important that they have a positive interaction, that they feel encouraged, they feel mm-hmm. empowered, they advocate for themselves and just really understand there's so much value we can get out of playing a team sport or an individual sport, but a team sport in particular. And I think that, you know, for all these young women who are playing sports, you know, I'm really happy that that has changed over the years. And there has been more support for women's sports and more support for people going and having that opportunity, because I think it was something that men had the privilege of getting that learning that you got from sports when women, you know, years ago were not as encouraged to to play sports. And now that's changed. Right. And I think that it's there's for any human being, there's a lot of value we can get out of that. And it's well beyond, you know, results on the field, how well you play, you know, what your success is as a team. You know, most of what I use that I learned from playing athletics for so long has nothing to do with sports anymore, right? It has right. to do with it has right. to do with life. And that's what I hope to pass along. So I hope that answered it. <laughs> For sure. I appreciate it. Totally. I mean, as a woman who grew up playing sports, there's so many things, like you said, values and characteristics that I embody that I learned on the field, like leadership, communication, playing as a team, knowing your role, respect, sportsmanship, things like that that are transferable into life, everyday life all always. I didn't know it back then, but you know, you kind of see the connection over time. I've had mentors along the way who helped me make that connection. So I I really, really appreciate it. You alluded to, there's a lot going on for women from the middle school to college age. And you and I both know there's a human development that's going on that's unique to that age. I'd love you to speak to it a little bit about what's going on for women in that age that makes them potentially a more vulnerable population or a population that needs more attention and, and sensitivity. I'd love you to speak on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that the introduction of social media has changed a lot how young people learn. I think that the, you know, social media is a, a, for most is a highlight role of their life, right? It's showing all these great things that are going on. And I think what that's led to is people kind of feeling like there's a lot of less than they have less fun, they have less money, they're less successful, they have, you know, less whatever about their their image, whether it's body image or whether they feel like they're attractive, they're seeing all these different versions of these things. And I think it's harder for young women because I think that portion of it is even more exaggerated. I mean, I think there's different, you know, kind of different stressors for different groups of, of people. But I think for young women, there's just this idea that they're that there's these things that they're supposed to be. And even though, you know, if none are all those things, right? Because we're just humans and we're just human beings and we all have our, our good and our bad and, our, you know, things we're good at and things we're not and things that we consider are positive traits and negative traits. And I think that it just creates this expectation of what they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be. And that just, to me, gets really exacerbated by, you know, by society in general these days. So I think it's always been there, but I think now it has, as much as people have tried to understand that and change that and do things differently to try to not have those same pressures, I'm not sure that we've done a good enough job to do those things. So, and beyond that, I think now, you know, you have with all the success that women have seen in 
business and in just in careers and things like that is, is that that just piles more on, you know, not only are you supposed to be these three things, but now you're also supposed to be, you know, the smartest person in your class mm-hmm. and you're supposed to have the highest job. And so mm-hmm. those things are good. I'm glad that those avenues are open more so than they may have been in the past for women, but it also creates more expectations. And and I think that just feels really difficult for a lot of people. And as they're developing kind of their self-esteem and their self-worth and, you know, kind of confidence and things like that, I, I think that people probably have a uh, unrealistic expectation of who they're supposed to be and what that looks like. And so oftentimes ends up leaving them feeling a little bit less than. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, thank you so much. I think social media is is a stressor. It can be. <laughs> People need to learn how to manage it. I think this developmental stage of middle schoolers into college for women is like there's, and for boys in general, they're finding themselves. They're like, you know, trying to separate from their adults, their parents, their guardians, and create their own identities and how to express them. And there's a little bit of insecurity about like, oh, how do I express this part of me? Are people going to like it or da da da? Are my friends going to like it? And that the friend group is more important than their adult guardians or parents at this stage too. And so what is posted on social media by their peers, whether they ever met them in real life or not, it matters. Mm-hmm. And so them being able to have the skill to manage what's there and, and respond to that stress, that adversity that might be presented there is a skill and, and something that we should help them practice. I think the difference for women is, you know, there's the coming into a more overt, like a sexual being, people are viewing them. There's puberty, there's their bodies. How do I feel comfortable in my body? What do I wear? What do I wear in the field? Do I like these shorts? Are they too short? I got to wear these white pants. Is that, how does that make me feel? And so there's a lot of different things that make it unique for a female at that age too. So I appreciate you commenting on it. I wanted to ask you, what are your top three tips to manage social media for a young athlete? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's a big question, I guess. I think that one advantage that we have, I guess, is you know, the younger people are better educated around mental health than older generations, uh-huh. right? I, they they understand it more, they talk about it more, uh-huh. they're more open about it. So I think in that regard between, and I think actually that whole everything with COVID also helped. Uh-huh. I think a, a lot more people are kind of acknowledging their struggles. And, um, and so I think that's the top tip is to recognize that this is not a 24-hour video of somebody's life. That what you see on social media is, is as I mentioned before, it's a highlight video, right? Right. Highlight All good stuff. Video. Right. Yeah. And so, but what I would encourage people to do, but it's also something that gets to a lot of people or can get to a lot of people. So I think that, you know, learning how to seek out people who are vulnerable and learning to seek out people who are kind of, you know, keeping it real about how, mm-hmm. you know, what life really looks like is one of the other things that I think is really helpful for you. And then I also think that, uh, you know, just kind of limiting our exposure to that and not relying on that for all the opinions that we come up with and ideas mm-hmm. that we come up with. There's no qualification to do a TikTok video. There's no right. So the information <laughs> right. you get might be interesting and you might agree with it or you might disagree with it. But kind of the understanding that just because somebody has, you know, a million followers doesn't necessarily mean that the information you're getting from that source is actually right or factual. And right. uh, yep. so just being 
you know, careful about what we take on as truth and what we take mm-hmm. on as fact and really being curious about about these things more so to kind of ask questions. And and if there's something that sparks your interest and, you know, somebody has an opinion about something or a thought on something, then I just really encourage people to go seek out more of that and, you know, try to identify people that they trust, that they think know what they're talking about, and then, you know, try to verify some of those things, not in an effort to just verify what I think, but actually to be a little more the opposite of that, that if I have a strong opinion about something, then what I want to do is be curious and go, okay, well, what's the other side of that, right? Mm-hmm, like, what's, mm-hmm, the, what's, mm-hmm. The, what's the opposite of that? Why do, why doesn't everyone feel this way, right? Mm-hmm. If I feel a way about a certain subject. So I think it's just about understanding that it's a tool and can be a good resource. It can be a mm-hmm. good social resource. It can be mm-hmm. a good way to interact with people. It can be a good way to meet people, all those things, but just not putting too much weight on that as our our be all end all. And I think um, for that age group, sometimes that is it. That's where they get a lot of their information. And so I would just uh, say expand on that a little bit and go beyond TikTok. Yeah, (laughs) go beyond TikTok for sure. No, that's super valuable. I love that. I think that's so helpful for anyone listening, parents of young athletes, young athletes themselves, coaches. As a male coach coaching, girls, women, what would be your top three tips for other men who are coaching young girls? Like, what would you want to make sure is always top of mind for them? Because they're in charge of developing these young ladies with the time that they have, right? As as positive, confident young women. What do you, you want to make sure that anyone out there who is a parent of a young girl when they're choosing a team to play for, right? And then any coaches out there, male coaches coaching young ladies? Yeah, I I think one thing, and this, you know, definitely holds true for male coaches, but I think it just is true for coaches in general, is that understanding that the mistake I see coaches make sometimes is they have a style and they impose that style onto the people that play for them have a way of going about things and believing that, you know, people either should or have to kind of conform to that. And I'm talking mostly about kind of how to coach and motivate. But, uh, you know, I learned something actually from my dad, who was one of my coaches, and we were talking about coaching well before I got into coaching. And I think this is true as a business owner as well. But there's, there's kind of three types of people need three different things. There's some people need to be pushed harder and kind of, you know, told to do more and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, got after. Some people need to be praised and, and affirmed and told how great they're doing. And some people at different times just need to be left alone, right? They don't need the coach to be the person who is telling them every little thing to do or not do. Sometimes they just need to go and, and operate on their own. And I think the key is understanding, first of all, which kids are which. But second of all, that they're not always going to be the same on every day. And so I think right. if you're, as a coach, being able to read, you know, read the room, right? Read the, read the kids yeah. and kind of see if somebody's having a bad day or a good day. You know, am I going to operate the same way in every with every kid and in every environment? I wouldn't because I think that ultimately what I want them to do is I want them to feel like they've got a leader and somebody who can help them get motivated and want to go out and and work hard. And that's probably my second thing is, is I think just encouraging hard work. I think that uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. I notice that when men coach young women, they kind of coach that differently. And I don't think that needs to be coached differently. I think that 
one of the great life lessons we can learn from athletics is knowing how to work hard and have mm-hmm. adversity and and have things not go your way and being able to understand that and that that's okay, right? That if you, regardless of the outcome, if you step off and feel like you, you know, kind of, if you kind of worked really hard and did, you did part, you know, with, from an effort standpoint, then uh, that's important. And I think that male coaches deliver that message a little differently to female players than they do to male players. And I'm not sure that that is, is very helpful. So I try to make sure that those kind of lessons are the same. And then I think the last thing I would say is it might sound contradictory, but I think understanding that many of the aspects of the coaching that you are going to have are going to be very similar, but there are some aspects that are also going to be a little bit different, not better or worse. And I'll give you an example. I feel like that uh, because I've coached young boys and young women the same age, and I think that women are more likely to, uh, and again, this is a generalization, which you have to be careful, Mm -hmm. but it's it's what I'm saying is they're more likely to kind of engage and buy into a team environment to kind mm-hmm. of common goals as a team, as a group. And where I think the young men at that age oftentimes are driven more by individuality and ego yeah. than they are about kind of that team environment. And so it's actually mm-hmm. one of the main things I really love about coaching girls is, is that I think that's such a amazing part of a team sport and learning what that looks like. And I feel like you can do more around the team aspect with young women than sometimes you can do with the boys. No, that's a great interaction that you're sharing the difference between boys and girls. I've seen that from a team aspect too, and I've learned that from other coaches I've, I've spoken to, but from the mental performance side and the clinical side that, you know, boys in general, again, in general, don't mind being called out for their individual performance, their success or their effort in front of the other boys. Like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like, I'm good. Like, and then the other guys are like, oh, shoot, like, he's cool. But the girls, if they get called out for, in general, again, doing well, they don't like it because then it could cause some kind of competition between the girls that they don't like or some kind of gossiping or talking behind the back kind of thing. That, that if you want to praise them, do that in private. And also, if you want to give them some critical feedback, also do that in private because then they can get ashamed, embarrassed. I think it's just the, the nature of the chemicals running through our body that make us different. <laughs> and yep. so I think that's important for any anyone to know, male or female as coaching, but knowing how to bring yourself as that vehicle, that tool to help them be the best little humans they can be so they grow up to be really great big humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I've so appreciated our chat. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say I'm your colleague. I love that we're in the same space developing these human beings who happen to play sports. You know, I wish you all the best with Millennium Counseling and I look forward to, you know, interacting with you and collaborating possibly in the future. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's always good to speak with you. And I know you're doing a lot of great work out there. So I appreciate you and appreciate the work you do. And we need more people like you. So hopefully we can find some of them here in Chicago to come work with us. So uh, for sure. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Millennium Counseling Center podcast, where hope is yours. It's time to soar. Continue along your journey of healing, hope and recovery with us next week. If you want to learn more about mental health, recovery, or if you just need someone to talk to, send us a message on Instagram 
or fill out the contact form on our website at millenniumhope.com. We are here to talk.